Cool, hello. Hi, this is Pablo coming to you live from Las Vegas in downtown Summerlin. We're here with Carrie Trichel. Uh, she's a longtime friend and awesome, awesome person, awesome human being. Um, I can't even begin where, uh, where, where the whole introduction uh, is going to start. So I'm just going to let you, Carrie, kind of um, guide us a little bit on your journey. Um, I know you're very much into yoga. Yes, I know I you am. Love, love breathing and, and reminding people of that. Um, I know you, you like to get on the, on the cycling bike a little bit here and there. Um, so why don't we start all the way back to when you were a really tiny human being. How did you, um, how did you find your, your path into, I guess, um, what, what is your life today in terms of uh, athletics and health and wellness? Well, I think it probably started, this is probably going to give away my age. That's okay. my, my first experience with a bike was something called a big wheel. And I think I had a summer of skin knees because big wheels don't respond well to rocks. Do you know what a big wheel is? I do. I okay. Do. I do. And then I love that. I, I was actually, actually, could you describe it for people who don't? Well, a big wheel, I guess you would say, is almost like a really low tricycle made of plastic. Okay. Um, and you just pedal it like a crazy person. I probably was, I'm going to guess three or four. I have a really good memory. I can remember pretty far back. And I just remember I was, I lived in a suburb of Milwaukee called Oak Creek, Wisconsin. And so the only time you could really go outside was during the summer. And I was outside all the time. And then I think my dad took pity on me and got me this amazing purple bike. And I might need my husband to help me. It had a big banana seat and it was sparkly and those big sissy bar hand, hand, handlebars and a basket like a stingray. Okay, thank you. And then that big bar in the back that came up so I could attach my dolls to it and strap them in. <laughs> okay. And then the coolest thing was in my neighborhood because I was the only one that had that big basket mm-hmm. and we lived right by a field. That's what we called them in Wisconsin, not a desert, a field. And we, my bike was used to transport all the matchbox cars and bricks for the roads that we built in the fields for the boys and their, their thing. So, How did you get that job? Because I had a cool bike okay. with a basket. <laughs> nice. Okay, so that was your, your first experience with a the bike then, huh? Yeah. I mean, I, cl- I clearly remember the day I had my... We had training wheels back in those days. Now they have what is that little bike that kids just... And I clearly remember the day that my dad took those things off and held me, and I went, he just let me go, and it was freedom. Do you have brothers and sisters? Or? I have three younger sisters. And you were the, the only one who just wanted to, Pretty much. to help out with the community and start moving yeah, my, my Well, two of my sisters became teachers recently. Okay. Um, and my youngest sister is really athletic and creatively talented in the arts. Okay, awesome. So... There's you as, as a toddler. Um, yeah. What, what happened after that? Tell us a little bit more. Well, then uh, we moved to another little area in Wisconsin called Greendale, and I had somehow lost the purple banana seat bike, and I got another bike, and it was, I'm going to guess, just a single speed. Um, it had the brakes that you had to press backwards on, so nothing oh, I on... I remember those. Yeah. Those were fun. And I remember... Again, when spring hits in Wisconsin, you just, that's when you go outside. And I just remember any time I could, I was on my bike and didn't listen to what my mom said about being on the street. I just went and I just remember going on 
they weren't bike paths they were just paths and you know there's natural creeks and streams and just it was just freedom to go out and be outside and kind of be by myself with me and my head mm-hmm. and that's probably how that whole breathing thing started oh wow so at that at that age at that point in your life you were already thinking about being inside your head or yeah being aware of that there's I'm, I'm gonna give another thing the, that's the bike thing. The, simultaneously with the bike thing was the yoga thing. And back in those days, at the grocery store checkout, they always had these little pocketbooks. I don't know if anybody remembers those. I think they were like 69 cents. And my mom had one on yoga. And I remember always looking at those pictures and trying to mimic those poses. And they're nothing like what we do now in yoga. But I just remember... Plow pose was always my favorite because it's the one where you lay on your back and then your feet go over your head and shoulder stand. I just love trying trying those out. So it was just fun. So the, it kind of came together all at the same time. That was at what age? You were picking up pocketbooks when? I, little. Again, probably five years old. That's the same. Well, what attracted you to that? Like, Because you... I liked the pictures of the yoga poses. The photos. Yeah. Ah. Do you, because uh, I know you're also a teacher. Yes. Um, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll get that. In, I'm really interested in that part. We'll get there in a little bit. Um, okay. So, I don't know. Let's get in, into, into I guess, your, you know, your teens and everything. Like, did you continue discovering a little bit more about yoga, like, with your, with your family, with your, with your parents, or by yourself? Um, in my teens, I, I moved. I started, when we moved to Las Vegas, um, I didn't have my bike. It somehow didn't make the trip. And I started finding other activities, of which roller skating was one of them. And then the little girl down, three doors down, was taking dance classes at a dance studio, probably two blocks from our house, walking distance. And I begged my mom. I, I needed to be doing something. I, I, I now that I, as a school teacher, I know what my problem was, but I needed to be doing something, and I figured out for me and myself what I, that I needed to be active. And so I begged and begged and begged. It was tap, jazz, and ballet, and gymnastics. And I had to walk. It was a walk in two blocks, not, not far, but nowadays we wouldn't let our kids walk two blocks on their own. And just to go to dance class with Elaine every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And I loved it. And that led me into my teens of continuing with wanting to do dance and just exploring really ballet. I didn't, and because ballet required flexibility, mm-hmm. I was always into finding ways to stretch. That was air quotes, stretch. And I kept with the ballet and kept working with that. And then somewhere in my senior year, the girls on the we all it was a really good community that we all lived on the same street and we were all into the same things got me into going to um, a place called Spa Petite and it was a women's only gym like a little storefront and that's when I discovered um, aerobics this girl that was teaching did an entire aerobics class to Michael Jackson's Thriller (laughs) and I left there was two experiences I have like this which we'll get to the second one but I left like my legs were shaking. I couldn't believe the intensity. And I said, okay, this, this activity is for me. And that started that journey of fitness. So I knew that I could take what I loved about dance and combine it with fitness. And then I can segue into the 
what I call the sob story in my life, but it changed me for the better. Okay, let's get into that. Okay. So I was about, that was my senior year, and I kept doing it, and I was actively involved, and I, I probably was going every day and very active. And somewhere um, going into my freshman year of college, and I went to UNLV, I started having this horrific pain in my leg, and I didn't know what it was, and I figured, well, I'm an, an avid athlete doing aerobics. I probably have some sort of injury, so... I kind of ignored it. I did Tylenol or whatever and iced it, and it would go away for periods of time, and then it would come back, and then it would go away, and it would come back. And so finally, um, I decided, well, I should probably go see a doctor. So my mom took us to our family doctor, and they went and took an X-ray, and they said, um, which I later found out, my mom never told me, that at that point they suggested I go see an orthopedic surgeon because when they read the x-ray, there was indication that there might have been a tumor on my leg. So we, at that time, go to probably one of the best orthopedic surgeons in town, and um, he thinks I have tendonitis. So I go off my with my little life thinking I have tendonitis. And um, For about how long? I went for about three months, and then I went back, and that was probably about April, took the, all the anti-inflammatories. He told me to stop dancing, stop doing aerobics, stop doing everything, let it rest. I did. I went back in July because it wasn't getting any better and my leg was getting bigger. And um, he kind of firmly told me, he said, are you going to be a dancer? And I said, no, I just enjoy moving. Well, then you just need to stop. Literally, those were the words. So I stopped. I stopped doing everything. And then finally, at that time... Um, a friend of mine had suggested that I go to their family's orthopedic surgeon because his brother had been hit by a car, and it's kind of like Humpty Dumpty. He was riding his bike, was hit by a car, and all his pieces were all over the place, so this doctor put him back together. Okay. And his family just really loved this guy, and I walked into his office with the same set of x-rays, and he immediately told me, well, we're going to need to schedule a biopsy. Well, I'm 19 years old, and I'm thinking it's just a bad case of tendonitis. I called my mom from the doctor's office and said, oh, they want to do a biopsy, and of course my mom was like, What? So at that point, now the picture becomes clear that this is something pretty serious, and I found out that a biopsy is when they want to go in and see if you had, have cancer. And so November of 1987, I went in and had surgery and came out with a diagnosis of Ewing sarcoma. And for some reason, and if anybody knows that particular type of bone cancer, um, somebody was watching over me in a big way because it is a very the prognosis for Ewing sarcoma is not good and the fact that I went months with it in my body and it never spread anywhere um, is truly astonishing so I got to do 18 months of chemotherapy and as much radiation until my leg pretty much looked like a super bad sunburn but um can you, that was 30 years ago, so I'm pretty sure I, I beat it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's, it's as a friend, mm -hmm. you know, as someone, as, a, as like an, an outsider, I guess, just looking into your life, um, it's really easy to give you a high five and a pat on the back and say, hey, that's awesome, you know, that's great. And look at that, the output, and look at the, the results. But 
in in that in that whole period of your life, even right before that, even before like going into the doctor's office, hearing the word like biopsy, things like that. Um, what was, what stories and what movies were you playing in your head? Like what what like I guess emotions. Like were you thinking about future stuff? Were you thinking about like what's going on here? Like what was kind of going on in there? Well, at first. You have to keep in mind I was 19 years old. Yeah. And what do you think a 19-year-old girl's biggest concern is when they find out that they have cancer and they're going to have chemotherapy? My hair. My hair. Yeah. Um, that was my biggest concern. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I didn't think of that too. Like, yeah, my hair. So, so, I mean, it was kind of funny because my, my oncologist, bless his heart, um, probably was like, really? That's your biggest concern? Yeah. Well, um <laughs> Um, you know, my my prognosis was 50-50. I had a 50-50 chance. So, I mean, I kind of went with 50-50. Um, they gave me this contraption. My, my oncologist never laughed, and I kind of get it. I mean, he really, what a, what a job, what a, what a profession. But they gave me this big ice pack. To, I, I looked like the Franken. And, I mean, it was like probably four times as big as my head because they thought if they back in those days, if they could put this frozen ice pack on my head, this big like hat thing all around that, it would maybe slow the chemo through the blood in through that part where the hair follicles are huh. maybe giving me a chance, which he told me it's, it's not likely, but I'm like, I'm willing to, so I'm sitting there with this, yeah. getting my first round shivering to death because yeah, that didn't work. So, um, I mean, I, I distinctly remember when I was losing, losing my hair and, um, I mean, it was pretty devastating. So, I, I, I mean, I remember being out to breakfast with my mom at a place called Commercial Deli and Commercial Center, which probably doesn't exist. No, I know it doesn't. Maybe it does exist. And just kind of running my hands through my hair. And I realized at that time, that night it was um, all coming off. So we did that. Um, and and it, that wasn't, I mean, I didn't, like, have any strong emotions about it. it at that point, I resolved it is what it is. Uh, I felt safe in my house, and I pretty much, I think, vowed that I wasn't going to go out. And um, my friend at that time, who was my boyfriend, he pretty much did the share thing, and I don't remember what movie, where she slaps him across the face and says, snap out of it. And he said, you know, put on that wig, and we're, we're going to go to Sears and pick up an order for my mom. So <laughs> I put on that wig, and I was horrified. I was positive everybody was looking at me, and they weren't. Um, but if it wouldn't have been for him doing that, and one other person, I worked with, the, I was working at the library part-time, the public library, and there was a little, I call her a little girl, she was younger than me, and she was from India. And she had long, dark hair. And I didn't realize it then, but looking back now, I mean, she had long, dark hair, and she knew what my, everybody knew what my fear, my fear was. Not that I was going to die of cancer or the, potent, the possibility of losing my leg, but that I was going to lose my hair. And I walk into work the first time with my wig on, and I walk in, and she's wearing a wig. I'm like, what is going on, weirdo? And she's, um, she tells me that she had a horrible accident. She was blow-drying her hair, and the blow-dryer caught on fire, and it burned her hair off. So she had to shave her head. So needless to say, we both went wig shopping together. But now that I look back, and I'm going to try not to get emotional. Yeah. 
<laughs> that's strong, man. That's a strong. That's she a strong she thing. did it for me. Yeah, that's so strong. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. Like, and this little girl from India that I made this connection with, and she brought me Indian garb so I could dress like her. <laughs> I'd go to parties and I felt like you know, the only white girl, but I wanted to be in the Indian clothes because I thought they were cool and she was just an amazing. So two, two people really told me to snap out of it. And so I snapped out of it and went on with my way and did, I did my chemo and I, I felt, I mean, every time I went and had a bone scan or whatever, you know, rocked it and whatever. And then it wasn't and, and I and I went through and you know there's the seven stages of grieving and you know what it's it's not a death grieving thing any any sort of trauma in your life you go through these stages and I probably for 18 months to get through it which helped me because I was in this happy place I really was um, I was never one time did I ever feel oh I could die I after that I never ever felt I could die I I went on trudging along going to school walked up to my professor my professors and said, Hey, um, I'm going to miss a couple days here and there cause of chemo, you know, they're all like, oh, okay. So, um, you know, went on with my way. And then when I finally ended, um, it was just before I was graduating from college and that's when it hit me. Like it hit me hard because I was no longer being monitored by doctors. I wasn't getting blood drawn. I wasn't going through, you know, now, okay, we're going to see you in, you know, six months. I'm like, well, and, and at that t- time, then that's when I realized, okay, I, I need to do something. So I went to a therapist and this woman again, <laughs> um, looking back and it wasn't until I wrote my bio for Lululemon that I realized this woman, what she did is I sat in her office and you know, I'm 21 years old and, um, she asked me what my passions are in life and I guess I kind of need to go back during my chemo and, and after having the bone tumor taken out, uh-huh. they didn't let me do anything on my leg except I could ride a bike because it wasn't any impact. Okay. So I bought a stationary bike or outside. I, I bought a, a, a good old fashioned 10 speed. Okay. I have to look at my husband. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. He's a, the, the I literally bought it off. I, I bought it for $10 out of someone's garage and I rode that bike everywhere. And I remember counting pedal strokes. And that's really? a meditation technique. I would just go and pedal my bike. So going back, so I, I kept active during this time because I couldn't, I couldn't do anything impact. So that took out the aerobic thing that I was doing. Um, so I rode that ridiculous bike, which if my husband probably was beside me on the road, we could start diagnosing how it didn't fit me right because I know it didn't fit me right. <laughs> but it was $10 and it was a bike. So, um, I go to this therapist and she asked me what I'm passionate about. And I said, well, I really love moving. I love dance. I love doing fitness. And she says, um, and I just was able at that point to start getting back. And I had joined, um, Las Vegas athletic clubs and, um, I was taking aerobics from two very inspiring people. One of them is in this town still to this day. And if there's a reason why I do what I do, it's Frank Butterfield. And he, um, I was taking his class and this woman, I did not know my therapist's sister was the director of group fitness for Las Vegas athletic clubs. And she looked at me and she said, well, what do you want to do with that? And she said, I said, well, I'd love to teach. 
And she said, well, why don't you? I said, I could never do that. Get up in front of people and teach. Why not? Okay, guess we're going to explore this one. So make a long story short, this Frank Butterfield guy at Las Vegas Athletic Clubs puts together this training program, which is probably one of the best fitness training programs I have ever been through in my life. I couldn't believe how comprehensive it was, the muscles we learned, the actions we learned. I mean, we learned more than just, you know, an eight count. That was part of it. Um, But we learned how the body moves and how the mind works. And I was deeply inspired by that. But before this man would let me teach at Las Vegas Athletic Clubs, I had to go work for Parks and Rec and get some experience with a boom box and a gym. And I did way over on Sunrise Mountain. And as soon as they had the first audition after I taught there for about six or seven months, I was hired. And that's when that journey started. I started teaching aerobics. And that was 30 years ago. That was... Um, that's a long time ago. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's insane how, how life experiences completely shape... Um, who we are you yeah. know, over over time and, and it's definitely like impactful experiences definitely leave it, its footprint you know on, on how we develop as a person so I think grit is a huge one that kind of comes to mind how, how have you um, or if you can kind of come up with a with another definition of like a really strong um, character trait that you think has you know come with you this whole this whole way up until you know, now that you're doing a yoga event here with Lululemon, I mean, what's kind of like something really big that, that you really respect that you've learned from different experiences that you've had in your life? Well, um, sorry, that was kind of a big, yeah, that's a big one. So for me, everything going to decide, I'm going to teach aerobics and get up in front of people. I cannot tell you what what a turning point for me that was in my life because I was, an ex- and still am to this day, can be, and probably like most people that get up in front of people and do things, I'm extremely shy. And I have a lot of fear. And I... You can't see any of that. I, well... I don't even feel it. So I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't believe you. The guy sitting across the <laughs> table <laughs> um, who knows me better than anybody... Um, <laughs> Because at some point in my life, and the turning point was probably having cancer, um, and I'm going to se- I'm going to segue this into something else in s- yeah, cycling. Yeah. Um, it makes you see things differently, and it's not that I woke up one day and go, "Well, I'm no longer fearful, and I am full of confidence." I just realized that I have a choice today to do something with my life, and. Um, and that's where <laughs> I get extremely on the defense about this guy named Lance Armstrong. Um, Lance Armstrong changed people's lives. Put everything aside, and I, hope, and I hope to inspire and change people's lives in the same way. To motivate people to do something with, with their lives other than sitting back and making excuses. And believe me, I can make my fair share of excuses, but that's where this, this thing of mindfulness and meditation and creating these new pathways in your mind because our actions are our choices and some people get defensive when you know that maybe are more um will go into the realm of psychology happiness and life 
experiences are choices. We can create a story in our lives and we can create the story to have a happy ending or we can create the story to have a, a sad ending. And it's a choice. And I, to all the time when I'm talking to my husband, I'll start going and it's really bad sharing my knowledge with my husband because he plays it back on me all the time. He goes, is that a story you're creating? I'm like, okay, yeah, you're probably right. I'm creating a story. And I even know I'll call myself on creating a story. And it's you can create the plot line, the protagonist, the antagonist. You can have a happy ending. You can have a sad ending. You can create a part two. Um, but this, this idea of grit and perseverance, and I know I have, I probably don't realize that I do it, but subconsciously I do it. I know that I have today to make a choice. And so I can either sit back and watch everybody else go by, which sometimes I do. And then sometimes I go, wait a minute, I, I can do any of that. I have resources. I have the ability. I'm a smart enough person to figure out how to make it work. So there's no excuse on why I can't achieve what I want to achieve. And as life goes on, and I think I was telling my husband, um, who's Pat Trichel, and I feel like this is, I feel like almost all of your podcasts, what's that, the seven degrees of Kevin Bacon or whatever, I feel like they all come back to Pat Trichel. <laughs> um, did I get that right? Is that, is it yeah, this, okay. <laughs> no, this Kevin Bacon thing. Uh, <laughs> um Man, I got all caught up in that Kevin Bacon thing. Now I lost my track no, of mind. We were going with. So what? Um, let's get let's get into. I kind of I kind of heard something. You were a cool, really uh, a really good tip, or or maybe a, a method or something that you were talking about. Um, breathing with your pedal stroke. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were just talking about cycling. So there's, I mean, there's everyone's a cyclist around us right now, um, in some way. So, what? Tell us a little bit about that. How did you even? find that how do you do it well I didn't realize that I was I did that before I really knew formal meditation techniques and I say that again air quotes because I realize they can't see them because I don't really think that there is a quote-unquote formal meditation technique you find a way that helps you be in your mind Um, but once I started learning meditation and I have been exploring it for years probably decades. How, how do people do it? I mean, I even paid for private meditation and it didn't even, I mean, God bless her heart. I, it, it just didn't work for me. I just couldn't get there. And, you know, it takes the right person to say the right thing. And I, and I got to give my teachers major kudos. Um, my, my practice of choice is yin yoga because everything else in my life is very yang. So if you're not familiar with the terms yin and yang, yin is stillness and yang is very active. So Everybody that rides a bike, it's a yang activity. If you do Zumba, you dance, you run, you walk, you lift weights. Those are very yang activities. We don't ever take time to sit and do a yin activity. And most people that I know that come in to do a yin activity struggle because they're not used to being able to sit with themselves in stillness. And it's hard to sit with yourself if you're not used to sitting with yourself because stuff comes up. So when I learned from Sarah Powers and her husband, Ty Powers, and she is an international uh, I'll call it, she does Eastern philosophy, Buddhism, mindfulness techniques in combination with yin and yang styles of yoga, mostly yin. And I was sitting in uh, the Catskills in this beautiful Buddhist, it was called the Wandharma Center, and um, 
I'm, I'm like, of course I can meditate here. It's beautiful. I mean, it's grassy meadows. I mean, in the evening you look out, there's fireflies, literally. Little sparks, they look like little fairies of pixie dust out there. There's, there's me- paths move, moving through the pedo- pet meadows to go on walking meditations, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. And I'm like, of course I can meditate here. I don't, and, and I know I can say this, he doesn't. I don't have my husband. I don't have kids. I don't have a job. I don't have life. I have nothing to distract me other than I'm doing yoga for, you know, 10 hours a day in, in silence because we go into these retreats in silence, which is very empowering if you ever get a chance to go into silence. It's, it's one of the most grounding experiences ever. But it was a sitting, and before we meditate, you know, they usually do what they call like a Dharma talk, and this is in Buddhism, and it's, you know, a little inspirational talk, and it kind of gives you some education on why you're doing what you're doing. And it was at that, that point that Ty Powers had said, you know, Sarah's career was becoming amazing. She was everywhere in the world. I mean, Europe, Australia, and he's trying to keep up scheduling her, and, he, and he's like, I'm not going to be able to keep up doing this. And then he leads mind, just mindfulness retreats and teaches meditation. And so he, you know, with his practice, which he's devoted to, of mindfulness meditation, and they call it shamato, which is calm abidance. And at that point, he realized, and I'm, I'm diligently taking notes, because I'm, I'm a great student, I'm diligently taking notes, and he says, it was at that point that he realized that meditation taught him capacity. And my head went, what? Because that's what I need in my life. Because I am burning at both ends, and I'm like, okay, I could keep doing everything I'm doing, because this meditation teaches capacity. In what sense, capacity? It teaches you how to balance, how to be able to, and I, how to balance. You don't have to just be a school teacher. You don't have to just be a yoga teacher. You don't have to just be a cyclist. You don't have to just be a mom. You can balance it all and do it really good. Mm. But you got to find time in your mind to create that space. So I listen to him and I listen to her and I, I walk away from that place a cha- changed a changed human being. And I come back and I, this time I realize it's another choice. I can choose to keep my meditation practice or I can declare I'm too busy because all the classes I teach are at 5.30 a.m. and I'm going to, I know for me, meditating first thing in the morning on a clear mind before the world gets to you is the best way. So I make a conscious choice at that time. Okay, I'm getting up at 3.45, 4 o'clock every morning and I have not changed since then and we're going on on three years and it doesn't matter what's going on I will find I will find the time and the breathing technique that goes with the counting of the pedal strokes is there is a breathing where you count your breaths inhale one exhale two you count your breaths and as soon as you realize that somewhere in between that counting you lost the count because you started thinking because that's what our minds are meant to do you simply go back to one so I could equate that counting and it's a cycle the breath moves in a circle, the pedal stroke moves in a circle, the counting moves in a circle, and it all comes together. You just move, and that circle just becomes fluid. So you don't think of breath as linear. It becomes one fluid movement, and you control the speed. Yeah, it, it, seems, like I, it seems like a lot of active you know, endurance perf- performance athletes, uh, I don't know, soccer players, football players, they, they all have their ways of meditating, and, and it seems like people can meditate while they're doing a jump shot or people can meditate while they're finishing the last lap in a crit it, it's it's really crazy how how i think some people just drop into that meditation state of mind but you don't necessarily have to be like in front of a lake with your legs crossed no. and 
humming ohm, right? No. Um, actually, I, there was a, a wonderful, uh, probably public service announcement video that featured several athletes on their mindfulness techniques. And the, the one I specifically remember, because it rang, it just resonated with me. And I even brought it up last night because we went to Frozen Fury. My husband and I are big hockey fans. And the goalie, and I'll kind of tie it in together, but Kobe Bryant has a meditation practice. And when he explained on how it works for him, he said, how do you think I can go into the opponent's building and I can be doing a, a free throw and the whole crowd is waving and screaming, Kobe sucks and probably everything else. How do you think I can go in and make those shots? Because I am in, I am in my mind. I, that breathing teaches you to be non-reactive. You're, you have emotions. It doesn't teach you to be void of emotions. It teaches you that there is that breath. That breath is always with you. And, it does, and it's, a deep, it's in the seven limbs of yoga and pranayama practice. You always have your breath. In any difficult situation, before you make a decision or, or a reaction, you always know that you can take a breath. And it's your breath that just grounds you. That it, Nobody knows you're doing it. Yeah, I... It seems like it's a secret weapon that everyone it's magic. needs to know. It's like, it's magic. And and take it like and respect it. <laughs> There's a here's another great uh, it's a great book. I I think the one time you came when I was kind of trying to lead some just out of in my meditation practice our practice is to benefit all beings. So I try to share the gift and there's a book called Into the Magic Shop by Dr. James Ardoti and it's an amazing book because I love meditation, but I love the science part of it. Like I love yoga, but I want to know the science part of it. I don't, I, I love, you know, the kind of the mystical part, but I want to know what does this do for me in my body? What does this do for in my mind? And then where's the proof? So that's the science side. And in his book, he, t he not only ties, he, he calls it neuroplasticity and that's the buzzword nowadays, you know, mindfulness, neuroplasticity, it's creating pathways in your mind of, of, new habits, new patterns, because we can keep that same story going, or now we can go, okay, I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to create this one of breath, just my reaction of breath. But he will bring it back to the science part of it, how it registers with the parasympathetic nervous system, how it ties into your vagus nerve, and how your vagus nerve creates vagal tone, and vagal tone moves with heart rate variability, which reduces heart attacks. That's real life stuff, because you sat and breathed. Just because you breathed. Yeah. And, and it re checks your... your um, cortisol levels and I always like to use this one because it's where I get them when you bring your stress hormones into balance and you're learning to breathe your your cortisol loves to hold on to fat and you get a big fat belly so when you learn to breathe just by laying on your back and breathing you can lay on your back you don't have to sit you can walk you can you can ride your bike and breathe you put your stress hormones into check and no, I, you're good to go an, as an entrepreneur I, I, I use it a lot especially when I have to make a decision or if I'm under a lot of pressure or stress because of a decision I have to make, you know, for the company or, or just for a, a specific activity that I need to do. Um, you know, I mean, anyone can use mothers, you know, kids. I mean, you, you, you're a teacher, right? Mm -hmm. So do you practice this with your kids? Do you show Absolutely. them? Absolutely. We breathe. We call it breathing two times a day. Um, I've been doing it now in my class for probably five years and the experience every year is is different. Um, I teach fifth grade, so they're 10 and 11 year olds. 
the experience this year, um, you would think that I, when I breathe with them, it cracks me up. I try not to laugh because you, every yoga teacher in the world would love to have this sort of breath in their classes because their breathing is insane. I mean, I almost chuckle when I listen to them. I mean, they're just full on. I mean, you can hear the inhales, you can hear the exhales. Last year, the big thing was farting during the breathing. Um, so, but I teach them that we can choose to react to that or we can choose not to. So those of us that choose to, we just continue breathing. So every year it's a different experience. But what I love about it is at parent-teacher conference time, um, I inevitably get the, the parents that go, okay, what's this breathing thing? Because we were in Target and I was stressed. And my kid looks at me and said, you just need to breathe. So, um, so you know, every year I get to turn 30-plus little breathers out into the universe. Yeah. And whether they continue on with it, or when they're an adult or when they get in college and they realize now that, you know, the life is hitting them, they're going to go, hey, that, that teacher, Mrs. Treichel, the, the, the one that's super intense but taught us how to breathe, that stuff works. Yeah. And, and we think about it. It's really easy to think about it in, in a context of, like, reacting to stress, trying to avoid stress. But what if we did that in, in positive things, like while we're doing our sport or absolutely while you're like you know having a special moment you know with your significant other or whatever like if you just realize of of if start being realization of uh of your breath and that kind of brings you into that now it's kind of like your you know your students they're really young they're not thinking about all those external factors so yeah they're gonna breathe mm -hmm. that's all they're thinking about right then you know they're not thinking oh this is just like some stupid breath meditation, whatever, you know, I'm paying $140 a month to be a lifetime member. So I'm going to breathe for 30 minutes. Right. You know, cause because the teacher's telling me, so, it, you know, they're, they're just, they're there. And, and I give them there for the breath. They're there for you, you yeah. know, like for themselves. And, and that's, that's something that I, I know you, you, you do with everyone that you come encounter with. Um, went to one of your meditation, um, sessions at, at your place, at your home. And I mean, I was, you know, I was see, seeing colors and, and for like 10 minutes, you know, of, of just of just meditating. And um, that th those types of things, that it, it starts, you start comp compartmentalizing um, situations and, and how you react to things. And I, I think that's, that's amazing. Um, and the thing is, is you don't have to sit on a fancy pillow. Like you said, by the stream or, you know, you can... You can do it in your do car it on anywhere. the way from work, on the way to work, you know. Like. And it doesn't, and there is one of my favorite, you know, for people getting started, if they don't, they don't have a meditation teacher, there's a wonderful app called headspace.com. And he teaches a very basic meditation, but it's literally, it's, it's 10 minutes a day. And if you don't have 10 minutes, one minute. Start with one minute, just breathing. Count your breaths. It, it change, it, and then you, you start to get the experience and you get that little experience of, Holy cow! I'm I'm working a little clearer. I'm organized a little better. I'm. It, it's it's not that you're going to be void of all horrific situation. I mean, you're still going to react life to things. Is life, yeah. life is life. But you know that okay. You had that one. Okay, now bring it back. Reel it in. That you have the ability to do that. Reel it in. Yeah, yeah. It, it, exactly. It, it, it. You come back into the now. You know, it's really yes. easy to always be in the future or be in the past all day. I mean, if you think about, you know, we're. We're talking about time, and it's 24 hours in a day. Out of those 24 hours, how how much time are you actually in the moment, like in like really present? 
Yeah, not much. <laughs> you know? Uh, unless you... I mean, like, r- yeah. right now, like, w- before we, you know, before we sat down, we're like, oh, we got to be at this place at 9, 9.15, you know, because I got I to gotta set off. And I was like, yeah. okay, cool. You so know? it's already right? in the future. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I mean, your mind is there, right? Yeah. It, it ha- it, it, it's just something we do all the time. Um, so, yeah, breathing breathing definitely bring, brings us back into, into where we gotta, where we got to be. And even, I mean, before we sat down here, I said, I just need to take a couple breaths. And I mean, some people say that lightly. I, I literally meant, you I just, I, ne- I meant I need to take a couple breaths. And before I do anything, I mean, I have open house on Thursday night. I'm, I'm going to take a couple breaths. You know, I mean, it's before I do lots of things and, you know, before I teach, before, I mean, I take a, it's just grounding people. I mean, three breaths, it's, it may seem like an eternity in your mind, but people are just paused and waiting. So a lot of our, our listeners and, and, also, the, our audience here today, they're either, you know, triathletes, cyclists, runners, um, you know, they, they do yoga. What's, what's something in, um, that you would recommend to any cyclist or runner or triathlete um, to kind of start exploring in, in yoga that, that you think they would be- benefit the most? Like in a type of practice? Yeah. Well. Let's, let's start there. Okay. I... I, I wholeheartedly believe that cyclists should be engaging in some form of yin yoga. And I'm saying yin in the true sense of yin. And if you're not quite sure, reach out to me. I will let you have, I will find a way to get you into one of my classes to experience yin. The thing with yin is it is an hour of postures that work on connective tissue, which athletes need and stimulating um i won't get into the entire physiological side of the practice but it is an amazing practice for your body especially for athletes plus in that you get moments of mini meditations so the biggest thing that i find is because we are not used to sitting still and especially athletes i mean you're a triathlete because you love to run swim and bike so this idea of sitting still and probably sitting with yourself for three to five minutes in a shape and holding it that long seems, oh, it seems pretty easy. And then you're in it. And then after one minute, you're, you know, going crazy in your mind because you're starting to think of everything that you need to do. And in the practice, we say you play an edge and there's a physical edge, a sensation in your body. And then for others, there's the mental edge. And it's, can you sit with yourself and learn? Because when you're in a crit or you're in a race and you need to get in you, because you need to turn out everybody away from you so that you can focus on you and what you need to do or your team and what your team needs to do. you got to find that place. And it's not just a minute. It could be an entire race. You've got to find that. That's a strong word. I highly suggest you find that place within you. And that practice brings the benefit of both together. And I teach at two facilities. I don't know if you want me to mention them. Yeah, um, of course. I teach a... 11.30 a.m. Saturdays at Lifetime, and then I teach a 7 p.m. at True Yoga, where I also do lots of workshops, uh, upcoming SOAS workshops. So cyclist runners, triathletes, all of you, you got SOAS issues. You need to come to that one. That's October 23rd, two hours. I give you things to take away, and we talk about your SOAS, and it's not just a muscle. It's a biointelligent tissue. I'll throw that one out there for you. Um, what about what about our listeners in Australia and New Zealand and Australia uh, and, and Europe? Well, when, so, my, I guess my question is, when are you going to start uh, <laughs> live streaming these these things to the world? Pablo, you can help me with that. Okay, <laughs> I would love to. The cool thing is about Australia. I'll set myself up for this. 
Australia and um, New Zealand and Europe, um, they get yin. When Kaz took my class and probably we all know Kaz is a man of few words and I got a call from him when we were up in Zion and left me a voicemail. I'm like, okay, first of all, Kaz called me and, le- and spoke words. So I called him back and I hope he doesn't mind my sharing this, but um, he, he wanted to tell me, wh- he doesn't know what that yin thing was, but it, it was amazing for him. So he came to a, you know, came to true yoga. And then I started, I went into my network cause I have a friend that I, what goes to Sarah powers with me as well. That lives in a little, I'll call it a little English country town. And I said, my friend's moving back and he needs some yin yoga teachers. So she gave me a list. And then of course in London, they have the the yin London network.org, something like that, that is just a plethora of yin teachers. And so Europe, they kind of get it. Australia, they kind of get it. We're, I think it's starting to happen here, but it's it's hard for, I'm, I'm going to put it out there as a generic for us in the States because we are, you know, we are a go, 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 go. And to sit in stillness seems like, oh, I could be doing this. Well, that hour sitting in stillness will exponentially allow you to do other things. Yeah, That's the capacity thing that course. Ty Power I mean, said. That, you know, it's very much like cultural thing, you know, and, and in other countries, a lot of other countries, people, they get together for lunch and they have lunch and whether it's a tea or a beer, you know, it's like a normal midday thing during the week. People do it, they sit it for an hour and a half and they enjoy conversation, they share what's going on in their life, what's, yeah. you know, in this, in here, I mean, people don't, most people no, we, don't do that. You know, and most, most people are, are, I mean, I see people eating hamburgers on the way to work. You well, know, I'm trying. From one spot to the next. True Yoga has graciously given me the platform to do yin yoga teacher trainings. So I just finished my first one and turned six amazing little, I call them yin teachers, out into the universe in Las Vegas. Awesome. Um, I'm setting up, we're starting, the, there's been a lot of feedback, so they asked me to put the dates on for the next one. So... I'm encouraging, you know, yin yoga teachers or teachers of movement, if they want to learn how to teach yin, um, I combine the teachings of Sarah Powers, Paul Grilly, and Bernie Clark all together so you don't have to travel. You can come here, and we break it out over three long weekends and give you time to digest. And even if you're not a yoga teacher but you want to learn about the practice, they're great. They're great long weekends to learn about the practice of yin mindfulness and the energy body i think closing out with energy body is is the perfect way to do this um how can people get in contact with you and learn more about you and what you do um and you know anything that you they can, can i'm on facebook carrie trichel um and that's really about it i probably need to explore further options pablo um yeah. <laughs> you, you, teach, you teach at lifetime i and... teach at lifetime and true yoga okay. um do you have an Instagram? I do have an Instagram, and I think it's at Solnique Yoga. Um, Solnique because our bodies are incredibly unique. We all have different anatomies, so I come from a foundation of not being fully, when I say align, an alignment practice, we find the shapes that fit our bodies rather than having this idea of a picture and making our body go into that shape. So, and of the soul. So, Solnique. Soul yeah, and it. unique. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Um, any any shout outs that you like to give to um, you know those those special uh, people and supporters in your life? Well, I have to definitely give it out to Sarah Powers and Ty Powers, uh, Bernie Clark and Paul Grilly. 
Um, my 200 hour, which, you know, you find your little golden nuggets of your 200 hour. And that's where I fir first learned about yin yoga. And that's through uh, Johnny Kest, who is out of Detroit, Michigan, who sponsors Life Power Yoga. Um, my teacher through that was Janet Zeter. And she gave little nuggets of information. If it wasn't for Michelle Siobhan Taylor, I probably wouldn't even be in this place. This woman is, she's the director of group fitness at Lifetime and I wouldn't be who, I wouldn't have the opportunities. And then most importantly, I have to give it to, I'm trying to, to my husband, cause he supports all my crazy ideas. And last summer we sat in a group thing with Lululemon and Lululemon asked us to sit around a table and give us our goals. And my goal was, is I wanted to do workshops and teacher trainings and Six months later, I'm doing workshops and teacher training. So those are my shout outs. And to the universe, because what I put out there comes out in a frequency and it comes back to me exponentially. I love it. I love it. Thank you, Carrie, so much for, you know, for doing this, sharing your time and sharing your thoughts, uh, sharing who you are as a human. I think it's a beautiful thing. And uh, keep on killing it. Okay, I will. Go get it. Thanks, Pablo. All right. See you guys.